0: where competition generates the best outcomes for investors, business, and consumers. But what if we're not living up to this reputation? What if, over the past few decades, American markets have become dominated by fewer and bigger companies that exploit their power over consumers and shape government policy to block potential competitors? That is the argument made by today's guest, Thomas Philippon, author of The Great Reversal, How America Gave Up on Free Markets. Tomá is a professor of finance at New York University's Stern School of Business. He's also an associate editor of the American Economic Journal and a research associate at the National Bureau of Economic Research. Tomá, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, when you say competition has been declining and America is, quote, giving up on free markets, I take it what you mean is that over the past few decades, the U.S. has seen increased levels of industry, concentration, leading to declining competition. So, How do we know this is true?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. That's why I took a long book to try to convince people that something like that was happening. I think the, the way you can look at it is um, by comparing the US with how it was 20 years ago or by comparing the US with other countries. In both cases, that's the feeling you get and the, what the data suggests is indeed that there is a decline in uh, in, in competition. So if you look at the U.S. Uh, twenty years ago, many industries that today are dominated by one or two firms uh, had many more players, and so that suggests that you know they, they they maybe there was more competition in in the U.S. Uh, at that time.
0: I mean, are you looking at is there like like one or two uh, statistics? Do you look at you know what what share of revenue the top four firms take? I mean, are, are there like a couple of like sort of classic ways of uh, 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 of sort of determining this?
1: Well, so take an example, um, air transport. Mm-hmm. 20 years ago, you had, you had eight major airlines in the US. By that I mean they were national airlines and they were serving the, more, more or less the entire country. And today this number is down from eight to four. Okay, you have four airlines in the US who control more than 80% of all the flights in the US. So that's a very large increase in concentration in that specific industry. Um, So that's one example. And what we try to do is to look at uh, all the industries to the extent that we can and compute these kind of numbers. You know, how many big players are there in the market or what is the market share of the top four players? Mm -hmm. Um, And in the case of airlines, you see that the market share of the top four is, you know, maybe 90% today. If you looked uh, 20 years ago, that number would have been much lower or less than half.
0: And we will sort of get into the tech industry uh, in a bit, and that's the that's the sector that seems to uh, be the one most frequently mentioned when we're talking about sort of competition issues these days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, but there's a lot. But you looked at a lot of industry sectors, so and you you mentioned sort of air transport, airlines. What are some others that have just become markedly more concentrated?
1: Well, another one that I find striking is the telecom industry. Of course, it's very much in the news today because of the proposed merger between Sprint and T-Mobile. But that's also one where I told you at the beginning there's two ways to to think about it uh you can compare the US today to how the US was 20 years ago or you can compare the US uh, over time to other countries over time and uh that's why a, a long section of the book is uh devoted to comparing the US with Europe which is very interesting because Europe to some extent has has been inspired uh by the US and in even To a large extent, has imitated what the U.S. was doing in the 1990s when thinking about antitrust, uh, competition policy, regulation, and stuff like that. But then, what you see is that in the telecom industry, for instance, you know, 20 years ago, the U.S. had lower prices than Europe in uh, key markets, such as uh, let's take two markets that people are going to very quickly understand. One Mm. is internet at home. So, how much do you pay to have a You know, broadband access cable uh, at your house, and the second one is how how much do you pay each month for your cell phone? Okay, so take take these two markets. You know, broadband at home and then um, cell phone plants. These used to be cheaper in the U.S. than in Europe 20 years ago, and now they are much cheaper in Europe. By much cheaper, I mean half of the price. So whatever your plan is today, there's a very high chance that if you lived in London or Berlin or Paris, you would pay half of what you pay today for exactly the same service. And so what's striking is that, you know, the U.S. went from being cheaper to being much more expensive or the flip side, of course, Europe went from being more expensive to being cheaper than the U.S. And so that's telling you that even though, of course, um, important to to mention, uh, it's the same technology. Right. It's not that it's the same market, the same same household buying the same technology, um, and yet prices have moved widely over time. So it's not technology that explains that. It's not the taste of consumers because they are basically the same here and, and, and in Europe. So the at the end of the day, the difference is mostly uh, competition.
0: Increased competition doesn't necessarily mean something bad is happening, right? It it, it does matter sort of what's what's driving the concentration.
1: Yeah, in fact, you you brought up uh, tech. At the beginning, that's one market where it's obviously very ambiguous.
0: I think I think the general consensus, it seems like in the United States, is that it's not ambiguous. At least if you read, uh, I think most uh, most media accounts, it's very unambiguous to them.
1: What's not ambiguous is that today they have a lot of market power. Mm-hmm. But what is ambiguous is that many of them got there by being better than their competitors. And but in the book, I try to be very uh, pedagogical about that. So I, I have like a very simple way to think about it. Make two camps, you know, the good concentration camp and the bad concentration camp and uh, think about what it means. So good concentration would be when the market leader becomes better and better and better. And so that over time, you see the uh, efficiency of the leader explains why they are taking uh, market shares away from their competitors, explains why uh, concentration is going up. But it's a good type of concentration. At, at the very least, initially, it's good type concentration because it comes together with high productivity growth and lower prices. This is exactly what happened if you follow the, the growth of Walmart. Walmart became ginormous, as we all know. Um, but if you look at prices, retail prices, um, they were declining throughout the period. The profit margins of Walmart was very flat. What he was doing is investing a lot in IT and you know, gaining market shares by lowering prices. It's still disruptive, of course. It puts out of business many other competitors, but at the very least, you can say that productivity is going up and prices are going down, so consumers are getting a good deal. When we see this, we think of it as efficient uh, concentration. The inefficient concentration is when we see the, the big players manage to protect themselves, to insulate themselves from competition by raising buyers to entry. And in that case, you would still see concentration because there they would be no entry to change the, the leaders. But prices would go up and productivity would, would be you know, mediocre at best. So that's the two polar cases. Okay? And you see both in the US, obviously, you see in retail, even today, still retail is very competitive. So you see productivity growth, low prices. Then you have extreme, uh, the other way, which would be like the Air transport, uh, telecom, healthcare, to some extent, also the energy uh, sector. And then the rest of the economy is somewhere in between.
0: So how did this happen in the United States? How, How is it that the EU has better competition policy than the US? Is it that what we said we were doing just didn't work? Or did what we say we were going to do 30 years ago, we stopped doing?
1: Yeah, the second one. It was working very well. And in fact, it was working so well that the rest of the world was inspired by it. So it turns out that the, you asked two questions. How did the EU be, become better at uh, you know, having free and competitive market? And how did the US become worse? It turns out it's much easier to answer the first one. It's actually very easy to know how the EU got there because it's a very simple story. It got there by essentially copying what the US was doing 20 years ago. Now, exactly how that happened and why the European decided to do it, that's, there is a more complicated story there, how they eventually decide to do it. But once they decided, the way it was done is very straightforward. It's exactly the same playbook as the U.S. had 20 years ago. You remove buyers to entry, you make entry easier into various industries, and you have strong antitrust uh, enforcement. And that's what's happening in Europe. Uh, just to give you an example, in France, in the telecom industry, uh, we used to have very high prices because we had an oligopoly of three legacy carriers. And they were all charging very high prices for the basic, you know, cell phone plans, so imagine like unlimited text and data, something like that. Of course, the people knew that. So there was um, potential competition. But to enter that market, you needed a license. And there was a force operator who was asking for a license, but under heavy lobbying by the oligopoly, uh, was denied a license for a long time. Until 2011. In 2011, Finally, the regulator gave a license to the new entrant together with, you know, the means to enter. And uh, the the new player entered, and the new player is is named Free Mobile, aptly named. So Free Mobile entered the market at exactly half the price of the incumbents. So the incumbents used to charge maybe 20, uh, 40 plus euros for the basic plan, and Free entered at 20 euros in the market. So huge disruption. They started to gain market share. Six months later, the incumbent had to match the price uh, of the entrant, and everybody was at 20 euros. And so, in literally in two years, in the data is in the book, in two years, France was went from being 20 or 30% more expensive than the US to being 30% cheaper.
0: When I when I hear, I guess you would call them antitrust activists in this country talk, it seems to me that what they're saying is that the American approach To antitrust, it's not—it's not so much that we stopped doing it, but that the approach that began in the, you know, maybe around 1980, uh, the approach that didn't look at, you know, how many companies there were or what share of the market they had, but looked at the impact on consumer. Did consumers have a lot of choice? Were they getting good quality products? That kind of consumer welfare standard. That that was a bad idea. That's what it seems to be. The activists in this country are saying that that was a bad idea. Is that a bad idea? Is there, or does your does Europe follow that, or do they do something completely different?
1: No, I actually think that's. I don't. I disagree with with, with that with that statement uh, that the consumer welfare standard is is the problem. It's not the standard that's the problem. In this the country, to
0: act. they seem, I mean, the activists seem to think it is the problem. Yeah, but
1: I don't Especially think Especially
0: when it, dealing with tech companies, or maybe specifically I, dealing.
1: Yeah, well, so for, for the tech world, we can talk about it. It's a bit—it's slightly more complicated. Mm-hmm. But even there, I would argue it's not a question of standard, It's a question of application of the standard. So I disagree with them. I don't think you need to change the standard. And in fact, in Europe, we didn't change it. A lot. We, we do have a consumer welfare standard. But uh, essentially, uh, we, we think that there are some cases where in the medium to long run, the only way to make sure the consumers uh, are, are better off is to avoid excessive concentration. It's not that we're going to be suspicious of concentration in and of itself. It's just that we, we think that it always leads to bad outcome for consumers. Is it, is it a more challenge.
0: longer term? Are you, are, do do uh, regulators in Europe, are, are they looking more longer term so that they're not going to say, well, everything seems fine right now, but the lack of competition down the road could lead... Um, to a bad situation, so we're going to act now. Are they more preemptive?
1: They try to be, but honestly, they, they, I think that debate is missing the boat. Like the, it's not the, as if the Europeans are doing something very different. The Europeans are doing what the US was doing 20 or 30 years ago with relatively similar outcomes, which is free and competitive market. Um, so the puzzle is, from the US perspective, is really why is it that the US stopped having sensible antitrust and competition policy uh, at home. I think that's the puzzle. And also, although we we are going to talk about Amazon, Facebook, and Google, um, and I'm very happy to talk about them and and they are important, it's also like, you shouldn't confuse the forest for the trees. There are many, many problems in basic market that have nothing to do with the new tech firms. I mean, I, I gave you the examples of the telecom, industry of
0: why why don't you tell me a bit about healthcare because that, that obviously is an issue. It's you know it's a it's a big chunk of the economy. So what's going on in the American healthcare industry from a competitive standpoint?
1: Well to the problem is that healthcare is a very difficult industry to regulate. And there is no free market for healthcare anywhere in the world. So every country has to choose a one way of regulating the system. And the problem of in the US is that you have a very strong lack of regulation together with very strong anti-competitive forces at all levels in the system, Uh, in terms of the providers, uh, the hospitals and the the care providers, the insurance companies, and the the pharmaceutical companies. All of these, these three big players are very much uh, in oligopolistic settings uh, where they can maintain very high margins by with non-competitive behavior. So that makes the whole system extremely costly
0: for everybody. Well, let's just focus like on one of those hospitals. Have there been too many hospital mergers in this country?
1: Oh yes, there's been lots of research on that over the past five years, and now it's probably one of the better documented facts. It's just a, a complete disaster in terms of quality and prices. Essentially, quality goes down, prices go go up when we have these mergers uh, between hospitals.
0: Uh, now we wouldn't care as much, right? We wouldn't care as much about the mergers if if we if we were getting much better results uh, even if prices went up a bit, if 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 there were much better outcomes, it wouldn't be so concerning. But that's not what we're seeing.
1: No, that's definitely not what we see. Absolutely not. Um, what's tricky for of course for the healthcare system is that uh, the alternative is not a simple free market because even the countries that are successful in having a you know fairly efficient and relatively cheap healthcare system, they do regulate a lot. So I think it's that that pose a problem. But healthcare is interesting in, in in another respect, which is that it exemplifies, you know, what's wrong or the issue, the deep issue in the in the U.S. system today, which is the, the way these companies get away with high prices and, you know, essentially lots of market power, is by lobbying uh, their local regulators, their industry regulators, and their federal regulators. And in that sense, the healthcare industry is very much in line with that practice. Um, and so that's the common thread across all of these industries: is very heavy lobbying to make sure that uh, their, their rents or their excess uh, profits are not threatened by competition.
0: So would the solution be to then to break them up in some, in some fashion?
1: Well, so you, you, you want to be more rigorous when you look at uh, mergers. But again, in the case of healthcare, I think the thing is you're starting from a system which is so inefficient. Like in some, in some industries, the inefficiencies are not that large that the obvious solutions are not there yet. You need to think about, okay, should I break up this firm versus that firm? Or you have the merger between Sprint and T-Mobile. You, know, you need to argue the case. But healthcare is the level of inefficiency is so large that there are some obvious things you want to do, like having price transparency, you know, just knowing how much things are going to cost. That, that's mm-hmm. obvious. You would think it's obvious. But even that is not the case in the U.S. today. Right? They don't post prices. In fact, they work very hard to hide the prices from people who buy the, from, from patients. So all of this should, that would be my first order uh, action on on that market. And then once you do the obvious, then you have the less obvious, which is you know what's the right level of concentration in uh, among hospital providers.
0: At least as far as the big technology companies go, again yeah, so the tech uh, companies activists that- in this country think they they already have an obvious. They think they think the cases the case has been proven. Uh, these companies are too big, too concentrated, too powerful. Uh, the harms are the harms are obvious. They don't do a good job of governing themselves. They are hurting innovation, and therefore, just go down one by one. Split you know, split them up. Uh, split Facebook up into Instagram and WhatsApp and Facebook. Cut YouTube off of of, of Google, and sort of company by company. Here's what we do. So. Again, among these my activists, they see a clear, a clear problem, clear harm, and they have a clear solution. is it that yeah. clear? Anybody who
1: thinks the solution is obvious needs to needs to go back to the drawing board. I mean, I'm very much in favor of, of having antitrust actions against the big tech companies, but for sure, the one thing that I know for sure is, it is not obvious. What is perhaps clear today is many people wish they had blocked, the, say, the acquisition of Instagram by Facebook. Uh, knowing what we know today. Now very much fewer people actually said it in real time when it mattered, that is when the ac- acquisition took place. Very, you know, many people who say today it was obvious they should have been blocked, didn't say anything in real time. But I think that for, for the big tech, it, to me it's a, it, it fits very well into the good and bad concentration. M- many of, most of them actually got to where they are today by being better than their competitors. So in that sense, it's the good concentration time.
0: All right. I mean, Google didn't get to its market share because it had an effective lobbying team in Washington, right?
1: Well, no, they first had the, they had the better search engine and then they made very smart acquisition to run the auction business. Um, so, you know, that's, these are, that's one technological improvement and one smart business move. After that, of course, they, they start to lobby to protect their rights. Their but there is no question that at, at some point they were very innovative. The problem is today they've become very dominant and we don't see uh, entry in this market and we don't see uh, new firms challenging them. I think that's the problem and the question is what to do about it and I think that's where at the very least we need to try um, antitrust actions because even if it does not succeed, it would be useful for a learning the facts and B put a break on put some sand in the wheel, you know, to create some space for, for new entrants. I think that would be that would be useful. The second thing that I, that I think is important is the solutions are not going to be the same if when you look at Facebook or Apple or Amazon uh, or Google, um, because they're gonna play out very differently. And take Apple, for instance. I think most of the issue with Apple is really about the App Store, because that's where there's a conflict of interest. And then it's a, it's a market which is really run by Apple And where they they take a very high cut on the price that people pay for their apps. So that issue is uh, located in one particular part of the Apple ecosystem and I think you want some specific action there. Uh, On the other extreme, you have Facebook and Google where the issue is much more at the core of their business model, which is the dominance they have on the online advertising. And also, that's why it ties up to issue of privacy. Now, to deal with privacy, it's not clear whether you want to do antitrust or regulation. My hunch is we need to do both, actually, because I think competition would also be good for privacy, but it's not obvious.
0: If we sort of, we do nothing in the United States, if we just you know, let the companies, these big companies get bigger, uh, even granted, there's, you know, they're spending a lot of money on research and development. They seem to be, these companies seem to be acting like their their competitive positions aren't guaranteed forever. Like I said, they certainly invest a lot into research research, sort of cutting-edge research. But if we sort of keep doing what we've been doing for the past 25 years or more, then what? What does the U.S. economy look like a, a generation from now?
1: Well, two things are going to happen. One is that you're going to miss on some new ideas and new um, innovations that are going to be stifle that, that won't take place because of the dominance of these big players even though they do spend a fair amount on research and development um it doesn't mean that they are very efficient at it like firms tend to be you know when they have a very strong incentive because their life is on the line that's where they invest the best i mean think about when at one point in time did google uh was google the most innovative well early on when they really wanted to establish that they were the best in search that's when they really did the, the best innovations think about apple when did Apple really uh, innovate over the past 20 years? When, when they had their backs against the wall and everybody thought Microsoft would totally dominate uh, and Apple would be just gone in the next five years. That's when they invented uh, you know, the sequence from the iPod to the iPhone. It's not when they became uh, uh, you know, very rich and, uh, and established that they did these innovations. It's before. Um, so the, what we are missing today are these new firms that are very hungry For innovation because they haven't made a name for themselves yet but they don't have the space to grow because of these very large players who just dominate the the ecosystem too much so if we keep going we're going to miss these young firms and so that's the first effect and the second effect is and that applies much you know in a broader context than just the tech is that just people are going to keep paying too much i mean
0: my estimation is i don't pay i feel like i don't pay much for my google search
1: Correct. That's exactly right. So that's why this—that's one place where you need to—you you don't need to change the consumer welfare standard. You just need to interpret it in a broader context. But I, that's what—that's exactly the reason why I think that it would be a mistake to focus on titrust trust only on the big tech firms. Because even if you're successful with the big tech firms, it's not necessarily these are not the markets where you're gonna have a bigger impact on the standards of living of the median household. So if you're, you know, if you're typical typical household living in the U.S., you make $50,000 a year. You don't really spend that much on the services from Google and Facebook because the ones you face are free. The ones you don't see are expensive, but you don't pay directly for them. But if you look at your cell phone bill, your internet uh, provider bill, all, all, all the bills that when you fly around, that's a lot of money. And these markets are the ones where the regulator should also do something. And my estimation is, you know, if you're the typical household in the U.S. and you earn, again, something around $50,000 a year for your household, you are missing about $5,000 of extra income each year because of these monopolies. So that's that's the thing that you'll be missing if you keep going in this route towards uh, less free market and less competition.
0: My guest today has been Thomas Philippon. Thomas, thanks for coming on the podcast.
1: Thank you.